You're listening to the Archive Deep Time. Um, it's been a while since we talk, what since we've done this show, but to the listener, it will only have been a week. That's a lot longer than having to wait for a new album from a band that you're into. Like when you discover a band, it seems like, uh, maybe this is just me, but I always tend to find out about a band or like get really into them. Right after they either break up (laughs) or they've just released something new. Yeah. And so you have to wait a really long time. And so, yeah, you want to keep that momentum going and, and you have to wait. If you were that person in 1999 after the release of uh, Enema of the State, which mm-hmm. is what we talked about in our last episode, you were fortunate in that the, um, the, the tide was on your side and so were executives from MCA Records mm-hmm. because they I've, – I've read a couple of different opinions about this, but they, for, for whatever the actual reason is – they uh, were on board, if not insistent, that uh, Blink put out some new material, some new recordings, um, shortly after Enema was released and became such a huge uh, hit. Hmm. And I've I've read that um, part of the reason for that might have been because they wanted to milk everything that they could from uh, Blink's popularity before its fan base grew <laughs> up. And Ooh. was no longer interested. Ouch! But there's this is not an un, uh, unprecedented development, right? Mm-hmm. Like I think it's a it's a pretty <laughs> standard thing for record companies or labels to do when you have a suddenly very hot property on your hands. You want to keep that momentum going. So what you do is you have them churn out a live album. Um, or, you know, you release some B-sides or whatever. But yeah. in the case of Blink, my guess is they probably didn't have a whole lot of unreleased material that was good enough to go out. Um, and they were, um, they were uh, as far as touring goes, I think they were surprising people in, in how, how much they were touring and how well-received they were being. Mm. Um, so and and I think they had a, a pretty high production tour uh, to work with following Enema. We we both yeah. saw that um, that tour, um, but separate from one another. Yeah, we like we weren't there together. But no, we I don't. Did we know each other yet? I don't know. I if don't we think did. so. I don't think we did. I don't think we did either. That would be the Mark, Tom, and Travis tour, right? Correct. That was uh, spring summer of two thousand. I think. Oh, that was the Mark, Tom, and Travis show, <coughs> was what it right. was called. Um, there were there were several legs to that tour, and I think they were all called something different. So we might oh, not really? have even seen the Mark, Tom, and Travis show. We might have seen something else. So the the live album came out in two thousand. Yeah, uh, I think it was like December or November of two thousand, um, which is why I'm pretty sure that the shows. Does it tell you when it was recorded? Over um, there on oh the yeah, sidebar. recorded in. Uh, there's a, a two different um, uh, uh, shows. I guess they recorded at the November fourth and fifth in 1999. Okay, 
And um, the album gets released a year later. Yeah. So uh, we we were at uh, one of the shows on that tour uh, in St. Louis when it was recorded. I guess that must have been summer of 99, unless it continued and through, through 2000. Anyway. Anyway. We saw it. Yeah. And uh, I remember thinking how absurd it was that Bad Religion was opening for, <laughs> That's right. for yeah. Blink-182. Not only that, but if I remember correctly... Bad Religion was the first opener. Did they come out before Phoenix before TX? Before Phoenix TX. Now, maybe somebody out there was at a, a run of those shows. I, that's not right, is it? It sounds insane, doesn't it? But I I remember just the the floor being more or less empty during Bad Religion set. Right. And then it just continued to fill in as it got closer to Blink. And I'm pretty sure that... That Bad Religion set came first. Maybe they didn't do that every night. Maybe Phoenix TX. Mm. Yes, it had to be because I remember seeing Phoenix TX in the hallway doing like a signing. They were all Mm -hmm. seated at a table on my way into the place. Mm -hmm. And I got in there right around the time that Bad Religion was starting. Uh, So I'm I'm almost certain that Bad Religion. Isn't that weird? Phoenix TX doing a signing? Yeah. (laughs) Because who were they at that point? I mean, that tour basically made them. They had a record out, but they didn't. Well, they had a. They had a kind of a weird um, progression because at first they were called River Phoenix. Yeah. And that their first album was came out with that name. And then I don't know if that was before or after River Phoenix actually passed away. Oh, um, I think it would have been well past that, actually. Okay. And yeah. so I think they got into some trouble, perhaps, with River Phoenix's estate or something. And so they changed the name to Phoenix TX and re-released that album under the name. Under that name. Um, so let's say you are <laughs> a River Phoenix fan. Um, I suppose you're aware of that change. Are we getting some audio weirdness going yeah, on here? Yeah, what's going on it's there. Since, you, since I put this thing on here. There. Um I suppose you know that they changed their name. And then only, I feel like the only people getting the signatures would be River Phoenix fans because Phoenix TX hadn't really, that, like you said, that tour. uh, That was part of the push of the re release of that album. Yeah. It was like sort of like, uh, I don't know if maybe. Maybe part of what happened was that they had also been kind of acquired by a major label. Right. And so they were like, okay, we'll put them on the Blink Tour. We'll re-release the album under the new name. It'll mm-hmm. be this big blitz. But why, and maybe that's all they needed. But if, Why is Bad Religion opening? I mean, why is why, Bad Religion why are opening? they on the ticket at all, right? Right. First of all, like, it, I, don't, I don't care if, if it's a show at, you know, an arena or if it's a show at some dive, like... Blink and Bad Religion on a ticket is a weird It is weird. Yeah, very weird. Especially right now. Like, you could almost argue that maybe it makes sense for Blink in 1996 or something. Or today. Yeah, oh, definitely, yeah. Like, Bad Religion today is maybe... I mean, I wouldn't call it mainstream, but it's certainly a lot more... Um, I would consider them more accessible than they were... Yeah. Then. Well, and you have multiple generations of Bad Religion fans, yeah. just like you have multiple right. generations of Blink fans, so it makes a little more sense. But, but this at the was time, the weirdest time for them to be able to build together. Yeah, and really disheartening, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but for whatever reason, that, that happened, and it I think it spoke to how big Blink was getting that 
that that happened. And I'm sure that there were purists who were against it and, you know, people like us questioning it at the very least, but it didn't seem to hurt them. That tour was, you know, sold out. Uh, they, they say that there's a quote, I think from Tom who's, who says that they, or maybe it was Mark that they'd gone from sleeping on people's floors and, uh, playing mm-hmm. to these small shows to selling out arenas, right. Um, right. seemingly overnight. And so it, the, the, the tour did them well. Um, and I think the release of that live album, which is called the Mark, Tom and Travis show, the enema strikes back. Right was uh very well timed um and as live albums go i guess it's it's pretty good it it does convey i think the spirit of those shows pretty well i feel like i've read somewhere that the production of this um album is like somewhat suspect Hmm. in that um and this i don't think i've found any any you know, anything to back this up. But I remember reading somewhere that um, there's a suspicion that things had been changed after the fact to make it sound better. Hmm. Like um, they recorded stuff in the studio. Yeah. To... Which I don't really believe. Like I, I don't see them wanting to do that. Yeah. Like even if <coughs> that is to say like wanting to spend the time to do that. Yeah. That seem doesn't seem well. I yeah, it definitely doesn't seem like something that they them as the band would want to do. But given what uh, I've read about the the process of making their next album, it doesn't surprise me that maybe it was something that the label wanted to do. Do you think Jerry Finn wanted to do? It's very possible. Jerry Finn. Maybe Jerry Finn is the problem. It may be a little bit early for me to come right out and say that, but maybe Jerry Finn is the problem. So he produced we'll to that. this live album. Um, and Enema of the State. And Enema. And Take Off Your Pants and Jacket. Right. Um, but uh, but anyway, I, I really like this live album. As a live album, I think it's really enjoyable. Um, I listened to it a lot when it came out. Um, and the weird thing is... That show, the Mark Tom Travis show, was the first time I saw Blink as a fan. I had seen them at a warp tour or something prior to this, but I hadn't really gotten into them yet. And so this was the first time I was seeing them. I was very excited to see them. And they I feel like I'm wondering if your memory lines up with this. I felt that performance was phenomenal. Yeah, I completely agree. Like, it was probably the it was the best live representation of yeah. Blink-182 that yes. I've seen. Me too. Yeah. Um, Ever. Yeah, yeah. I have yet to see a better show than that. Yeah, absolutely. Them. I think I saw, I've seen them probably five times live and in multiple iterations. And I think that that show still ranks as probably the best it's the and and overall best experience. I think mm-hmm, it was like mm-hmm. the best that you could do with Blink. Like they are almost like the they're they're not a good enough performer <laughs> to work a small room, a small club, mm-hmm. very well. Mm-hmm. Or or you know maybe like their sound isn't good enough to 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 work in that space or something. I saw them a couple of clubs and it was I enjoyed it, but it wasn't great. Mm-hmm. Um, but 
the the arena that that in interior enclosed arena was a large enough audience at the peak of their um popularity mm-hmm. and it it was still close enough you were still intimate enough with them yeah that you could you know could really feel the energy of the music you weren't so removed from it like in an amphitheater or whatever yeah so i think it it was a great show and the album i think captures that i think it does a really good job we're we're on that album aren't we in the uh, outtakes at the end they I, as like a so hidden track i always not you and i personally right we're not but <laughs> i always there so there's a there's like how many tracks at the end of the album? There's like 66 uh, uh, little audio blips. Yeah, just them joking around. From, and I thought from various shows. I mean, if this Wikipedia page is to believe, there's only two shows represented. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that means just for the songs or if that includes all those bits at the end. Uh, but there'd be a lot of bits. I was almost positive that there's one bit at the end um, oh, you know what? I bet I can find it. That was at our show because I I remember hearing it on that on the album, and I was like, "Whoa, that happened in our show." Mm. Uh, Hurt Kid, here it is. Okay, this uh, this is eighteen seconds long, and I'm fairly certain this is from our show. Apparently, there's a kid that's hurt right now, and I think they're helping him out right now. <laughs> it looks like they're right there. Make a hole, people. Make a hole. All you people over there. Make way for the hurt kid and bring me their wallet. <laughs> I I I you remember, remember that. that. Do See, you remember? I that? don't remember that. No. Oh well, maybe I'm maybe no, but do. I don't remember anything from that show, so it's <laughs> entirely possible. Maybe I'm remembering. <laughs> maybe at the time I was so hopeful to hear something from our show, and you just like I was like, that's it. That happened. Recontextualize that as a memory <laughs> instead yeah. of something fresh. Yeah. I like that. Or maybe there were hurt kids all over the place. <laughs> yeah. Maybe that was just a joke. <laughs> that was like made. a secretly violent show. Yeah. Like, uh, it hurts. It hurts. <laughs> it hurts. Oh, we'll get there. Yeah, we'll get there. Uh, so that, that album came out. It was, it was, I think, pretty well received. And it was uh, led by a single. Yeah. Great single. Great single. That actually sounds uh, older. It sounds older, yeah. Let's and play I, it. I think they must have started playing that a, a long before this. There's um, a demo version that they demoed for Enema of the State. Yeah. So they, it was it, it was perhaps written for Enema. Yeah. yeah. So '98 or so. Here it is. I'm trying not to blast your ears this time. <laughs> I love the. Op- I mean, I love this whole song, but the yeah. opening's so good. That's Mark on bass. That's Mark on vocals. <laughs> Is that Mark on drums? Yeah, that's Mark on other vocals. Mark did this whole thing. Is Scott doing the drums on this one? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I love, this is such a great song. Yeah. I find that I love these B-sides. Maybe because you rarely, that you know, you don't you don't hear them in the flow of an album. So yeah. I feel like I hear them less often. Yeah. So whenever I come back to them, I'm like, man, this is good. Yeah, and you have to kind of invest yourself because they're not part of an album. Yeah. Like, they're not really, I mean, like... This this was released as a single, but right. it, it didn't get a ton of airplay, as no. I recall. And they did do a video for it. Yeah. 
And uh, let me play you the demo because I remember hearing this demo on the radio mm. um, or, or in some way, like, or maybe it was on their website. I, I think that may have been it. Or, so, so here's the thing. I have this memory tied to this, uh, the demo version of this, uh, of this song. At the time, I think I was working for my brother um, at his, his office. He had his own company, and I was doing like uh, art and stuff and, and websites for him. <clears throat> and I was the last one there that night, and I was just kind of, uh, I think I wasn't even working. I was just like hanging out and like on the internet. And Playing I was... pool, smoking <laughs> cigarettes. <laughs> but I was on, I believe I had read that Blink-182, there was going to be a new track played on the radio. Um, or man, Well, you know what? I, I honestly can't remember how this happened. I can't remember if then I heard, that was when I heard the actual track. Hmm. But at some point, I heard the demo, and this is the demo. So, so I know this is really annoying. <laughs> I think what happened was I'd heard the demo somehow prior to this. I don't remember how. Okay. Maybe online somewhere, um, and thinking it was really good. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, you know what? And I remember, actually, did I mention um, last episode how I had met this girl in a chat room? Yes. And she was into Blink, and I was, and so she didn't give me any crap for it. Right. Um, and I remember the, talking about the demo for this song, and she was not impressed with it. Interesting. And she was like, I don't know, it just reminds me of I'm Sorry, the song I'm Sorry by by Blink-182. Mm-hmm. Um, probably because it says, so sorry, it's over. <laughs> so here's, here's the demo, which... Uh, Obviously in an unrefined state. Sorry. That's got right. <laughs> <laughs> And they, the full song isn't even like they just repeat. Uh, oh, that initial uh, certain verse, verses, yeah. yeah, over and over. It sounds like he says "really sober," yeah, but I think he's supposed to be saying "rarely, and rarely sober," because uh, we have not mentioned this yet. But the lyrics of "Man Overboard" directly refer to. Uh, the uh, relationship that Blink had, or with uh, that Mark and Tom had with their previous drummer Scott, had they ever uh, confirmed that, or has that always been an alleged an assumption? I don't, I don't know that they've ever directly confirmed it. But um, <clears throat> there's a link. I dropped it in the show notes for the last episode when we were talking about Scott, um, and it's a post. <laughs> <laughs> This is a first <laughs> because the show notes have been completed, but no one knows about There's them. No... <laughs> they don't exist <laughs> <laughs> for me. Yeah. For Drew. So he's floored by this. Yeah. It's like, there's show uh, notes. Where are they? Um, this link, uh, is, it's a Reddit, uh, post from Scott, 
Not from Scott. From Mark. No, not from, from Tom. Mark. From Tom. Not from Tom. From Jerry Finn. <laughs> from Mark Trombino. <laughs> from Cheetah. It is from... <laughs> It is from uh, this guy whose sister was dating Scott at the time. Oh, here we- so definitely credible. So it's, it's hearsay, right? <laughs> it's totally hearsay. You're also assuming this person is not lying that his sister, right? Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. But it does it does line up with other information no, that's a- about okay the situation with Scott. And there is a line in um, the song that talks about. Um, uh, <clears throat> chasing it with a shot or something, and then oh, we yeah. tried to talk I remember you down. Shots without a chaser, absent-minded thoughts. Uh, now you're a racer. <laughs> uh, let's sign the lyrics. Let's check out the lyrics because I think this will make more sense if we look at the. Lyrics. I do love the lyrics too. Absent-minded thoughts without a chaser. I mean, that's pretty good, right? Yeah. Uh, oh no, no. Ab- okay. I remember, ugh, I remember shots without a chaser, absent minded thoughts. Now you're a stranger. Cover up the scars, put on your game face, left you in the bar to try and save face. Okay. That's not the lyric I was thinking of. You want to hear the rest of the lyrics? Um, you can only lean on me for so long. Bring the ship about to watch a friend drown. Okay. So the, the, the shot incident, I don't know if that I can't recall if that directly uh, is connected to this, yeah. but there's a line in there where it says, um, uh, sit, on the le- sit out on the ledge, begged you, you to, to come, come down. down. There was apparently an incident where uh, Scott, uh, I think, had a whole bunch of shots and got really wasted. Without and, chasers. Without chasers. And ended up standing on a ledge like... Uh, mm. Saying he was going to kill himself. Jeez. Yeah, like he opened up a window, got out on the ledge, and was going to jump. Um, which you could also directly correlate to the man overboard mm-hmm, idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, so anyway, that link, I'll put it in the show notes for this episode as well. You can read the story yourself and decide whether you think it's credible. The kid offers as evidence, or I guess he's a guy now. He's not a kid anymore, <laughs> but he was like 15 at the time. He must be a kid. Now he's a guy. <laughs> This dude, um, the the evidence that he offers as proof is like a signed copy of Dude Ranch from Scott or something. Good for him. You know, yeah, like, so whatever. See? But he claims that I want the... A, I want a photo of him shaking Scott's hand. They're holding a newspaper. <laughs> uh, they... And, and, and <laughs> Scott is visibly nodding. Like, yes, this story is true. He claims that the uh, the issue that drew him off of the tour was between his sister and Scott. Mm. Like they were having, they were in the midst of some turmoil and a possible breakup. Interesting. And so he needed to tend to that, and that's why he left the tour. Um, but you can, I, I will leave that up to you to interpret. But anyway, it it has been inferred at the least, yeah, that these lyrics refer to. And I don't think they've ever denied it. Yeah, exactly. Um, which isn't an admission, but right. still. But the timing works out. It was written yeah. for Enema, right. which directly followed the um, yeah. dismissal of Scott. I want to read this last, the last little set of lyrics here. It's kind of damning. Mm-hmm. You want to hear them? Mm-hmm. Man on a mission. Can't say I miss him around. Oof. 
insider information, hand in your resignation. Hmm. Loss of a good friend, best of intentions I found, tight-lipped procrastination. Yeah, later. See you around. Boy. Ouch. Yeah. No love there. I still think, I don't know if I said this on a previous episode, but I think that Tom DeLong should find Scott, form a new Blink-182 with him and Tim Armstrong <laughs> from Rancid. And then we can have competing Blink-182s. I do really love this scenario. And I think that would be a better Blink-182. I do, too. <laughs> it would certainly be a better band, at the very least. Not. I don't want to like take anything away from the guys remaining in Blink-182. Yeah. Whoever happened to be in Blink-182 at the time that you hear this. Yeah, we don't we, know. I mean, <laughs> as of this recording, it's Mark, Matt, and Travis. Although, according to Tom... He's and still, Tom, yeah. He's, he's still in the band. We'll get yeah. to that. Anyway. <laughs> well, he's forming the new Blink-182. Right. <laughs> that's that's Man Overboard. That's the Mark, Tom, and Travis show. A great song. I mean, I, I, I think it's one of their best songs. Wow. I don't know that I'd go that far, but... I think it's because it's it, it elicits... I never don't want to hear it. There's never a hmm. time that I am not in the mood to hear that song. Hmm. That's a grand statement for me. I don't know if it's even true. <laughs> But that's how I feel right now. It is right now. So they put out this live album. They've just done that tour. It was a great tour. By the way, that album, like it, uh, when it was released, it actually like hit the like top ten really sales. Yeah, wow. it might have even debuted at number one or something like that. They were big. It was big. Yeah, that this just to give you like a picture of just how big they are at this point. Like there, there is no seemingly no one who listens to music. <laughs> who doesn't know who Blink-182 is. Mm-hmm. I, I, and what, regardless of whether their opinion is positive or negative about them, yeah, Blink-182 is everywhere. Everyone knows them. Everybody knows them. Do I, they do... Sorry, go ahead. No, 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 no. That's, I'm gonna, it's, it doesn't have anything to do with what you were just saying. That's so. okay. We'll get back to it. Um, on this version of Damn It on, on this album, is mm-hmm. that where they do the uh, I Wish I Was a Little Bit Taller? There's a, there's a version of of Damn It Live where Mark raps during the break during the bridge. Oh, is it the Josie single? Let's see. You know what? I think I have all of those. So this is a live version. I got a real problem with standing like a homo. Go ahead. Oh, that's unfortunate. Let's skip ahead. And you do. So yeah, I think that was on a single. Mm-hmm. I think it was the Josie single. Um, that you know, it started with that homo comment, which is like, I it brings up real like. Uh, I, it's one of those moments where I'm just like, God, why do I like them? I mean, they were such idiots, you yeah. know, and, and, and like not trying to excuse that behavior or explain it away, but they were young. And at that time, that's what young dudes joked about. Yeah. It was a different, um, there were different, different levels of tolerance for, um, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was not. Yeah. And I, I imagine 
they would both be embarrassed by that now, you know, the, the way that they, yeah. Uh, carried themselves at least in that respect. I don't think they're embarrassed about like juvenile humor necessarily. Yeah. But to uh, use derogatory terms like that. Yeah. To marginalize. Yeah. I don't think they'd be in any way proud of that now, but it's still like that stuff definitely um, was a very real part of them as a band, um, especially early on. Yeah. And it's it's one of those hard things to reconcile with liking them or liking what they ha- were putting out. Yeah. Well, and their image at the time was uh wrapped up in that, right? Yeah. Like yeah. if you if you were familiar with the songs and you had uh had some kind of emotional connection to the music, it was really hard to convey that to somebody mm-hmm. when they're standing there looking at a picture of a bunch of dudes yeah. standing in boxer shorts, yeah. you know, uh, sticking their fingers up their nose or whatever. Which, which in a, uh, in a way is good. Like I, I appreciate whether they, they know what they're doing there or not. The, the, them undercutting the seriousness. Yeah. You know, like, like there, there's always been this. Well, not always, but for for much of their career, has been this sense of you can be stupid and smart at the same time. Like yeah. you can make good music that has meaning and make stupid jokes, and those things aren't mutually exclusive. Yeah, um, and that's an important <clears throat> message, I think, for youth, particularly if you're talking about people who are going through a hard time, mm-hmm. and you know, the idea that you can, it, they're talking about serious things. These things obviously weigh on their mind, but they're still able to laugh and enjoy themselves. So you can, you can have both. Like that's the, the spectrum of the human experience is like very serious and very, you know, juvenile or, or comedic. But unfortunately what went hand in hand with that at the time anyway, I mean, not that it doesn't exist today, but at the time, it was much more accepted to, uh, you know, essentially marginalize uh, entire people. Yeah, entire groups of people. Yeah. So that always gets me. I mean, that you just that just happened. You know what I mean? Like all I wanted to do. Right. You were just <laughs> enthusiastically playing yeah. a, a performance. I mean, yeah. imagine, then... imagine. You know, this was the scenario. Like, let me play you this song by Blink One Eighty Two. Yeah. And that's the first thing someone hears. You're like, oh god. Yeah. <laughs> Come on. So anyway, it is, it's a challenge, but in a way, like, I guess, okay. Bringing this back to, um, to part of the reason why we're doing this, I think that kind of behavior is not something that is typically endorsed by people who have some kind of punk pedigree or who classify themselves or identify themselves as like a quote unquote true punk. Yeah. yeah, You know, like it, it was part of what was criticized at the time. Right. As you know, separating them from punk rock. Yeah. Like, you know, the the punk rock is not about making fun of people. Punk rock is not about this. And the fact that they were able to do that to create credible music and to write things with intent and still do that is kind of the essence of punk in a certain way, mm-hmm. you know? And the the issue, I guess, you have is whether or not they actually believe in what they're saying, you know, right. with that. 
And that's a whole, you know, that's a personal issue. And that's something that you can engage with them on, on a different level, or even, you know, criticize credibly Mm -hmm. in a different conversation. But when it comes to the, the punkness of the music and, and them as a band, I think that lends a little bit of credence to them as, as actual punk musicians, you know, they, they were not, um, doing it the way that people had done it before, but they were still doing it. Yeah. So that's, that's the enema era. It comes to a close, um, with them still pretty much on top of the world. Yeah. And, um, the transition to Travis went really well, I think for them as good as it could possibly go. And so they did get bigger. They're huge now. And the next logical step is to go back into the studio, do another album. Right. And if everybody's in sync, that works out great. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on your perspective, um, it is reported that not everybody was in sync on this next album. This early on? Yeah. So, um, well, it's interesting because... The initially, it seems like the tension was between the band and the label, right? So this uh, Enema is released in 1999. The live album comes out in, in uh, 2000, mm-hmm. and then uh, immediately, yeah, MCA <clears throat> wants another album out there, and yeah. they get it. Like it was six months from the release of the live album that take off your pants and jacket comes out. So if the, let's say they stop touring at the end of 99, let's say they, they go into the studio in 2000. Mm -hmm. Um, this album has, they've, they've, they've been on tour constantly. So they haven't like really lived. Right. Right. They've been on tour and now they're asked to put out another album. Right. That is, at the same level right. as Enema of the State. And they they don't have any basis for that to go on. Like, they've, they've just been on tour this whole time. Man, that's... Uh, I had not really thought about that. It's crazy. And there there's a quote. I think it's an, um, it's an NME quote or Rolling Stone. I don't know. Uh, there's an interview with Tom DeLonge where he talks about how, you know, normally what what they would do is get together... They'd spend some time apart after the tour. Mm -hmm. Then they'd get together and kind of discern, you know, where they are as a band, Mm -hmm. what direction they want to go in. They would take some time to think about that, and then they would start writing. Yeah. They don't have that time. There is apparently a penalty, a fairly significant monetary penalty placed on them if they don't deliver a new album Hmm. within a certain amount of time. So they go back into the studio Basically with nothing. I mean, they have fragments or whatever, and they start working on it. Um, or, or, you know, they get together and they start brainstorming, working on these songs. And uh, they present a demo to mm-hmm. Rick DeVoe, who I think is like their representative their manager. manager. Yeah. And he says to them, where's your, where's the summer, summer the pop single. hit? Yeah, yeah. Where's your single? And they're livid <sighs> about this. Because they they have a direction, they they kind of work it out, they figure out where they're going, and their manager says, "Nope, that's not where you're going. You're going to make another enema of the state." So from the get go, there's tension here. Yeah, I think 
you, I don't want to say that like everything that happens between Mark and Tom from this point on is the fault of the label or Rick DeVoe or whoever. Right. You know, that's definitely, they, they carry a lot of that burden, but this is not a great relationship. Things are not going well. Or at least as well as you would hope that they would. Like, this band is huge. Yeah. They they have so much clout. They should be able to call the shots on this. And they don't. They don't have the ability to say no. I mean, they do. They can walk away from the money. Right. But according to Tom, it's some insane amount of money that they're going to get penalized. So um, they forge ahead and basically um, cave to the pressures of the studio and put together an album that is... Um, uh, or, or should I say that the they record in a session that is apparently contentious mm-hmm. um, because allegedly Tom wants to go in a particular direction. Mark wants to go in a different direction. Right. The studio is bearing down on them, asking for a very specific thing. Uh, Jerry Finn is probably acting on the arm of the studio right. and trying to, I mean, he, he's technically their employee. Mm-hmm. And so he's pushing for a certain sound. And so what apparently results from that is uh, a, com- a competition of sorts between Mark and Tom to uh, both write and record more aggressively in their own directions. Hmm. Um, that's, uh, that's interesting. You know, it's funny because this album... Thinking about it now feels very much like sort of an echo of Enema of the State. Like it, it's it's as if they were told to write that album again. Mm-hmm. You know, like there's so many. Uh, it's like George Lucas says. It <laughs> it's like poetry. It rhymes. Because <laughs> there's so many moments in this album that feel like an attempt to replicate something on Enema. Yeah, um, it's treading the same territory in many ways. And and what's what is interesting, what compounds that is your, you know, as you mentioned, like they did it, they released Enema of the State, they toured all the way up until they record this. They haven't lived a life other than a touring life. Right. And Playing the same songs over and over again. There's songs on here that I really love. And, but it doesn't have like, there's the, this is for me when the songs start feeling as genuine um and it feels like they're not writing about their own lives or or their own perspectives but more of what they think people expect them to write about yeah and in some cases I'm okay with it cuz I think it works mm-hmm. you know I'm not I'm not opposed to that approach you know just outright sure. you know if a song's good a song's good and it's a choice to go in that direction. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I think the the downfall or, or the downside to that is when a song fails, it fails hard or can fail hard. It could just feel empty. Maybe it feels that, hollow. That's more what it is. Yeah. It's not that it's a bad song. It just doesn't feel like there's any reality behind it. Yeah. Um, and, and it just doesn't stay with you. Yeah. And there's songs on here that uh, just don't stick around in my mind, but there's some that really do. And the other thing about this album, I'll say, is despite like the quality of lyrics or um, songwriting, I I still think it's real. There's a lot of really catchy stuff in here. Like, um, t- 
Tom, I think, really knows how to write uh, a hook that grabs you. Mm. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're really simplistic, but they're still, for me anyway, really, really powerful. And on top of all that, this album came out, this is the first album that comes out since I've become a fan. Mm. And so there's the, a glow on this album that I don't know if it would be there uh, for me if I didn't have that experience of like the first new Blink album for me. You yeah. know what I mean? I can remember the day it came out, I think uh, the second I could, I drove to Best Buy, bought this album, and you know, blasted it into my car all the way home and then blasted it at home on my stereo. Like I was in love with this album yeah, when it came out. It. Yeah. yeah. Um, and a few songs in particular. And I also remember following the progress of them recording this album. Cause I think by this point their website was giving little video updates yeah. of it. And there's one I could, I was trying to find it for, for the show, but there's one video in particular where, I guess, I don't know if they're driving somewhere or flying somewhere, but Tom is like in a seat. It's either a bus seat or a, a plane. Uh, and the lights are completely out and all that you can see is the glow of his laptop or something. And he's playing, he's sort of clicking through tracks on mm-hmm. the album and they, they edit it. So you only hear a snippet of a few, there's like six of them. And I remember just hearing those little bits and being so excited. I was like, Oh my God, it sounds so good. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you want to know where that goes. Yeah, yeah, they were really good at teasing people. I, I think they still mm-hmm. they still employ that practice. I yeah. think to a certain degree, but at the time they were, um, and for a, a great deal of the last you know decade and a half, they've been very good at at teasing people online, and that kind of started around that era. Yeah, I think it's also worth mentioning too that like this, <clears throat> this is the around the time where they start. Um, diversifying their interests. Mm-hmm. I think Mark and Tom started loserkids.com right. sometime around this era. Yeah. Um, I think even maybe Atticus comes start. Atticus Macbeth. Was that one of theirs too? <laughs> so yeah. Atticus was a clothing company. I think Mark's mm-hmm. company. Yeah. Was Macbeth. Macbeth was Tom's. Tom's. It was his vegan shoe company. Did and Travis start famous stars and straps? Probably at this point. So they're all sort of like they're entrepreneurs. Yeah. And you can have your opinions on what that means as far as their yeah. credibility. Um, but they do that. <laughs> and, and loser kids is, uh, what, what was loser kids? That was like their loser kids club of sorts. It was is that right. I always looked at it as like a, it was like a skate shop for people who didn't have access to a skate shop. It was oh, like okay. kind of intended to bring that um, that culture of uh, skateboarding and the kind of peripheral elements of that mm-hmm. to a place where it didn't physically exist. So right. if, if you lived in San Diego in the 90s, you could pretty much get anything you wanted, you know, in mm-hmm. terms of that culture. But if you lived in... Boise, you know, right, or maybe, whatever. Maybe you didn't maybe have not. access to that physically. So that's what Loser Kids was intended to do. And I, I think it worked. Name. Yeah. Loser Kids. And it worked It worked with their identity. You know, this yeah. is right on the heels yeah. of Anthem, right before Anthem Part 2, <laughs> <laughs> where they are sort of uh, cementing this image that they are the musical accompaniment for your um, rebellious. rebellious adolescence. Yeah. 
these 30-year-olds. <laughs> Who are now married, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, even at this point, they're, like, married. Um, well, and, I, sh- you know, I say that with a groan. And it's not to say someone who's 30 can't serve as an inspiration for a teenager. Yeah, right? no, that's true. But it's the intent. I don't, I don't know. There's just something. I, I, I feel like... They're just edging, like, at Enema, I'm still cool with it. Like, they're still, they're sort of right at the end of that part of their lives, and and that still informs them. I don't know if I believe that it informs them now. Yeah, no, especially given the fact that they were given that ultimatum to, like, reproduce. Oh, and they they did it. Enema, yeah, and they did, yeah. Um, Should we do a track by track? Track by track. real quick, what was your, I think, I, I remember... We did know each other when this album came out, and I remember mm-hmm. talking about it with you, but uh, what was your... How, how did you react to this album when it came out? Boy, I was I was very disappointed. I was really disappointed. I remember um, I, I was actually on vacation. I was in Las Vegas when this album came out, and I was staying about a mile away from the Virgin Records store at Caesars Palace, mm. and I... I dedicated that day. <laughs> I, I had a couple of things to do before the afternoon, but I said, okay, starting in the afternoon or maybe when, when the sun goes down, I'm going to walk to the Virgin Records store and I'm going to buy this album. And I did. And then I immediately walked back to the hotel. Mm-hmm. I had a, a portable CD player with me. Right. Because it was 2001. Yeah. And that's what you did. Mm-hmm. And I, I sat in the hotel room listened to the album all the way through and I was completely dejected. Ugh. Like I didn't, I didn't hate it. Sure. But, but it felt hollow. Yeah. It just felt very unfulfilling. Yeah. And it would take me a while to really, um, kind of wrap some thoughts around why that happened. Mm-hmm. But that was just a feeling. It was just an emptiness <laughs> um, I, I still liked them. I still, you know, wanted them to be great. And I still figured I would listen to this album a lot. I was, I, I will tell you, I was surprised at how quickly this album disappeared for me. Like how quickly I stopped listening to these songs. And to this day, it's, it's probably the album that I've listened to the least. Really? Yeah. Even neighborhoods. Well, okay. Maybe not neighborhoods <laughs> or that last one, but <laughs> Pre-neighborhoods, this was the album that I right. listened to the least. Pre-breakup one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, let's let's go track by track. So as you mentioned, we finished Enem of the State with a song called Anthem. And uh, as if to signal that we're not done with those Enem hmm. of the State ideas, we're starting with Anthem Part 2. Um, and I got to tell you... I was so excited by this opening. <laughs> it's a pretty good opening. At the time. I think they've established now that at least, you know, this the duality between the two albums, you have Tom needs to lead off these albums. Yeah. They regain regain yeah. <laughs> they regain a lot of credibility with this opening. Yeah. However, it should not be called Anthem Part 2. No. It it doesn't track with anthem part one <laughs> you got one of those long uh that's what i mean though. it sounds yeah. like an old blink song yeah. in that sense yeah 
It's a <laughs> conservation message. <laughs> this song is generally about sort of like a bill of goods being sold to the youth of America. When you yeah. say like, it basically says like all the problems you're facing are the fault of the previous generation. Yeah, yeah, which is an age-old sort of message. Yeah, repackaged here. Um, uh, that's a really dumb lyric we just heard. Let me <laughs> let me go back to that. Uh, uh, and, and and I I remember thinking this lyric was good at the time, uh, and now as an adult I'm like oh, that's stupid. Um, let me play it again. It's coming up here, I think. Okay. Corporate leaders, politicians, great. I'm I'm with that. Right. Don't like those guys. <laughs> so we'll follow that up with. Kids can't vote, adults elect them or elected. Elect them. Well, yeah. Yep. That's good. <laughs> that part's good. Now, <laughs> adults make bad decisions, certainly. Mm-hmm. I feel like kids would make worse decisions. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's that lyric half is part of that song. Um That's a good lyric. Yeah, I think there are moments yeah. within the song and without within the album that are transcendent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, they're they're couched within some stuff that just isn't that good. Yeah, yeah. And maybe it's just underbaked, you know? It, I think that, that's not, a really good assessment. There are some songs on here that could be amazing yeah. if they were given a little bit more time to develop yes. and if they were... Um, Sandwiched within other really good songs. Yeah. I want to skip to the part of the song I actually really like. Um, so during the chorus, let me go back here. Um, this is the chorus. <laughs> no, it's not. This is the chorus. This is the chorus. So I like that lyric. If, if we're fucked up, you're to blame. Yeah. Um, and I, there, it, that chorus ends just goes back into the guitar riff. But I really love how that chorus ends later. Let me see if I can find it. Great. I love how it ends. I love that. Yeah. The, the echo there, and it goes back into that little riff. Good stuff. So after after Anthem Part 2, it's online songs. We switch it up again, just like on Enema. We start with Tom. We go directly into one of Mark's strongest songs. This is a great song. It's a great song. It's Let's, maybe the one of the most enduring songs from this era. I'm so glad that you said that cuz I I want it to be an I love it. I don't I don't oh, have any fault with this. And he he even calls back to Yeah. Josie, who was the perfect girl. Yeah. Now, now it's he, not working out so he's well. The source, she's the source of most, most frustration. frustration. 
<laughs> We're so stupid. <laughs> One, two, three, four. I really like that. I mean, this feels like blink. Yeah. Well, and like, I'm 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 good with this, but right here. Not this part, but the next part. Is it the next uh, sort of versy, chorusy? Yeah, thing? yeah. Like I think this is all good and everything, but this song really gets strong for me and kind of irresistible um, when the chorus kicks. Oh, in. I thought you were saying you didn't like it. Oh no, I love it. Oh, yeah. I love it too. It's great. Yeah. It's coming up. I, mean, right? I think like the place setting here is really great. This and is then, it. Yeah, this is amazing. It's fun to sing this. It is fun. Um, there's a great uh, fan-made music video for this that I'll send you for the show. Okay, notes. yeah. I would love to see that. So this song, great, great song, is followed by not the first single of the album, but one of the singles. Second single, I think. And this is maybe one of the worst Travis drum intros of their entire career. Let's hear it. This is a first date. Oh, this is good too, though. <laughs> All right. Anyway, here's first date. Oh, God. <laughs> I recoil every time. <laughs> what is he doing there? <laughs> <laughs> This song. What the fuck is that? <laughs> That's Travis Barker. Man, wait till he gets a boxcar racer. Oh yeah. Um, I I've never loved this song. Yeah. It's very all the small things ish to me. Well, this is one of those songs. Um, uh, apparently, after Rick DeVoe gave them that ultimatum, he like wrote this. You you need oh, to write yeah. a single. Mark went home and wrote Rock Show. Yeah. And oh, Tom God. wrote this. Um, and they're they're two two they're they, they are the two biggest singles off yeah. of this album and two of their most enduring singles. I do really like the bridge though. I I love this bridge. Mm-hmm. It, there's nothing to it, but. Like, it's just the chords, but... Yeah. The rest of the song is just like, ugh. <laughs> Video's great. I love the music video. This is where they're... Where they're all in, like, 70s. 70s. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay, so then we get a joke song. It's Christmas Eve and I So this is this is a um, a function of them. I think in transition, yeah, they can't do the the full length joke songs anymore like they did they when don't they were feel in Chester. Like they or can. yeah, for whatever reason they can't do them. Um, so instead, they start like kind of sandwiching sandwiching in these little mini songs. Yeah, um, it started I think with um, Family Reunion, right? Which was on the did we play that? We didn't. We didn't do that one. Let's play that real quick. Yeah. Family Reunion was a song that was included on a compilation called Short Music for Short People. Yeah. Uh, I think that was released in 98 or 99, so it was around the Enema era. And and this song is base, is basically George Carlin's Seven Words You Can't Say right. on um, television. 
And it's a stupid song, and I love it. Yeah, it's great. Let's see. I love Tom's <laughs> bit there. <laughs> it's harmony. Yeah. <laughs> he says, oh, is this thing still on? So when that, that happens... sort of like when Travis says, is that really it? Is that on a it? later album. <laughs> that is a great song. And in context, <laughs> it was perfect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was exactly, exactly Blink-182. It was the Blink-182 contribution to that yeah. album. Yeah. Which, which as a sampler, like, okay, that's yeah. Blink. Yeah, exactly. In a 30-second nugget. You've got strong, uh, like, catchy music, mm-hmm. uh, pretty enjoyable harmonies between them, and the subject matter is stupid. Yeah. Yeah. The, the quintessential... Yeah. Blink nutshell. Here, it. I actually like this song. It's certainly better than later iterations of this idea. Of this thing. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Oh, that's a great line. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's Labor Day. And my grandpa just ate seven fucking hot dogs. (laughs) That's an excellent line. Um, So we have that that joke song. It's only 43 seconds long. This will become a thing. Yeah. Um, I don't know if they, they don't do it on the next album or the one following that, but when we come back around to the latest iteration of Blink-182, they will bring this idea back. Yeah. Um, As a and, means of reclaiming glory, seemingly. And it's a weird, I guess we'll talk about then, but it, but it's very a frustrating aspect yeah. of what they're doing. But it's it, it's passable here, I think. In listening to this album again, it, it's, it works in the album. Yeah. It doesn't feel like it's detracting from the album at all. But we just made a big joke, so now we got to get really earnest <laughs> with one of, um, uh, what's his name? Tom DeLonge's. <laughs> Tom DeLonge's fairy nursery nursery rhymes, right? I think this is a nursery, nursery rhyme. Yeah, I would definitely say so. Story of a lonely guy. And this is... Really doubling down on the um, Inim of the state direction. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. It sounds like you, you can sort of hear the same effects on Tom's voice and the music as you did on Enema. I like that line a lot, though. Yeah. It's dumb to ask, cool to ignore. I mean, these are really basic ideas. Some of them work. Some of them do not. Not so much. I don't think the da-da-da works at all. And I remember listening to this first for the first time and, and thinking yeah. that they were reaching. 
I think that's a great line too. Yeah. It's okay. That one less so, yeah. This is terrible. <laughs> it's great if you're me <laughs> and you're 18. <laughs> you're like, yeah. <laughs> um, fun fact, my nephew Josh was, uh, gosh, this came out in 2001. Yeah. He was one. That's insane. Um, and he would sing this with us. Wow. Yeah, isn't that fun? Okay, this next one might, uh, it's not my, uh, it might be my least favorite. This is the single that, the first single, The Rock Show. I, I, this is such a nothing song to me. It's, it is complete, absolute fluff. And, and Mark and, allegedly wrote it to be that. He said, I'm going to write the ultimate, oh, he did it on purpose. shallow, candy song. Yeah, this is your summer and, teenage anthem. And that doesn't even make me you like, don't like it, it anymore. anymore. Yeah, no. Well, MXPX wrote this song already. Yeah. They literally have a song called what? Rock Show. Rock Show. At the Rock Show. At the Rock Show, yeah. And it's not even a good song. Uh, it's so bad. I, yeah. I, I don't even want to listen to it. Like, I the thing is, with this album, I can still go back and really enjoy it, even knowing its flaws and, and not connecting with it now the way I did when it came out. That song, I still can't. Really? Like, that song just, it's such like a, a an empty shell of a song. Yeah. That it just kind of like, there's, there's, the songs on Neighborhoods feel more substantial. Really? I mean, in a way. Well, and it, they are, credibly, I think. They, they feel like there was like uh, an effort there where I wasn't, I'm not in line with what they're trying to create with Neighborhoods, but I believe that they are, or I believe that Tom is, you know, yeah. like, but I don't, I mean, as evidenced by the history of this album, it feels like no one was interested in that song. Yeah. But it worked for them. So on Enema of the State, they they got a lot of uh, mainstream uh, uh, accolades for uh, Adam's song, mm-hmm. right? Track seven. Track seven, their first. <laughs> I like the look you're giving me right now. <laughs> Track seven, their their foray into a more serious arena. Well, track seven of this album is no different. This is Stay Together for the Kids. Which <laughs> essentially, I mean, I'm sure that there are people out there that like you could play the two songs back to back and they would be like, it sounded like the same song. Yeah. Now, I will say this came out, this song came out um, and I think my parents had just divorced. And so this really did speak to me quite a bit. I mean, it's not a, it's not a bad song. It's probably one of the best songs on the album. Yeah. And but it just the problem is how calculated it's exactly it's like if this song had been if the song had come out a couple of years later yeah when it was removed from enema if it had been placed elsewhere on the album sure yeah. if it hadn't been released as a single yeah you know any of these things had happened you wouldn't have to question right the intent the, yeah but it does seem like there was this effort made to recreate Adam's song. Yeah. And it's not like, in a way, it's sort of 
um, undermines what they're talking about here. Mm-hmm. Like, I think it is a very earnest and honest song. Well, and you don't hear so so with divorce in general. A lot of times, it's talked about um, in the context of uh, family with young children, and I believe Tom wrote this. His parents divorced kind of around the same age that mine did, as a, as a teenager, an older teenager, where you understand, you completely understand right. why people don't stay together. You understand how people can lose, uh, can fall out of love or, or have complications that make it impossible to be together anymore. But you're that is absolutely in conflict with that part of you that's still young and still doesn't get it. You know, right. still there's an emotional side of you that's like, yeah, but I want my parents to stay together. You yeah. know what I mean? And so it's not a, I don't think it's, that is really talked about much. I don't think, um, there's a whole lot, um, artistically about it. Mm-hmm. And so I think this song has a real uniqueness to it because of that. And it, it absolutely spoke to me at the time, but like you said, all this, everything around it makes it feel so kind of like mercenary that um, it, it just undercuts it a bit. Yeah. But it's a good song. I think it's important to note too, like this for me is like, it's the last moment on this album where I can listen to a whole song. Man, that's okay. All right. It's well, with the exception of maybe the last song, the last track, mm. but it's it's certainly the last time I can listen without feeling agitated. Oh, see, I this is from this track on, I'm way more invested, really. Yeah, yeah, that's fascinating. Yeah, and maybe it's because it's really catchy from here on in, in my opinion. Mm. Um, so the next song is Roller Coaster. I absolutely hate this song. This is your least favorite, do you think, on the album? On the album, yes. I don't think... So he, he apparently, Tom, or Mark wrote this uh, after having a dream about his <laughs> yeah, wife. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I think that that's a great... Um, impetus for writing a song uh-huh. and like the emotions associated with it knowing that i get that okay listening to this song i don't get that i don't either and the chorus is one of the worst things i've ever heard is that this not yet I think it's right after this. I love that line. This. This. There's there's Travis. Coaster. That's a this is stupid. This stupid lyric. And this is the first, I think, electronic. You're starting to this yeah, this is a little hint of what's to come, yeah. certainly. They're starting to explore production a little bit more. Yeah. For better or ill. <laughs> I mean, it certainly adds a, an interesting layer to this song that's not there without it. But It's funny. I I, I just find this really catchy, and um, it's kind of empty like the other songs. Mm-hmm. 
so then Reckless Abandon. Um, and this song, uh, I feel like this should have been called Anthem Part 2. Yeah. Even though I don't really like this song. This, uh, while stylistically or content-wise, I don't equate this to all the small things. It's the all the small things of this album for me because I would always skip it. <laughs> After a while, anyway. And this is them like, it's like you're you've got to stop with this idea. You've yeah, written this song a few times now. It's basically dick lips, <laughs> but well, the song already happened once on this on album. this album. Yeah, exactly. So this is a song about being a, at a party and yeah. doing stupid stuff. It's just yeah, uh, freewheeling teenagers. And it's not as good as the other ones, no. Yeah, I don't really want to... Yeah, it's... Okay, like, yeah, you... you the, the the theology behind this, the, the, the mindset... Mm-hmm. Yes, you can write songs based on that. Yeah. But one, they shouldn't be so explicit yeah. in that a good song is not gonna like just drop it right there right and there are like basically every line in this song feels like it's so on the nose yeah that there's no artistry to it whatsoever again it's not baked yeah yeah they just had they had to put something on the album it yeah. seems like let's do a song about being drunk as a teenager yeah, yeah. again Again. All right. The next one. I like this song. Every time I look for you. I really like the guitar. Yeah. Oh, and actually, real quick, let me. So, Reckless Abandon. <laughs> if we want to continue to draw comparisons, uh, let me let me go real quick to Enema of the State. Uh, can I do that easily? I think so. Because there's a they they replicate something on Enema of the State. So, Enema of the State, Aliens Exist, which you'll remember is this awesome song, <laughs> ends like this. I think this is the one that does Does that little transition into going away to college. Okay. That's great. I loved it then. Still love it now. (laughs) Now, if we come back to Reckless Abandon, here's how it ends. Same thing. Although I, I should say, I do really like that transition yeah. into this riff. Yeah. I will I will grant you that those elements on are own. great. Yeah. This I what I like about this is that familiar exchange. Yeah. From Mark to Tom. And I really, really love uh, the bridge. Let me go to it. Oh, I love that line. Approach with feign intentions. Bitch the border. Beg forgiveness round the corner. This is a good song. 
It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's go to the bridge. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Okay. Oh, I know what you're talking about. Here yeah, I okay. like this a lot, too. And this was the clip I heard on that video of Tom mm. listening to clips of songs. And I was like, this is, I can't wait for that song. <laughs> Like, this is a moment of just elation for me. This is, I think, this is pure Tom here. This is exactly where he is, and this is where he's going. This is a preview of where he's going sonically. Everyone's like, that wasn't anything. What is the deal? Yeah, but it totally is. It it's totally is. The, that um, very heavy, um, noisy, dirty, dirty guitar. Riff, yeah. yeah. And that's where he wanted to go. That's this, where he was headed. He's he's always been citing Fugazi and stuff like that as a source of inspiration for him. And by the time they're recording this album, he is wanting to move more in that direction and is restrained from doing so, I suppose. Yeah. I think he feels, at the time, based on what I've read, he he feels that the label is holding him back. Yeah. But I think in the process of recording this album, it starts to become codified in his mind that Mark is holding him back. Yeah, because Mark, I, I think, maybe isn't, as frustrated by that direction right. of just sort of staying in that lane essentially. Yeah. Um, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that either, but Tom doesn't want to keep doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I can easily see him starting to resent uh, Mark. This one is also a Tom song. And I, I think also trying to move more in that direction. Yeah. Um, I really like this. Are you? I think it's the best of this bunch. I think it's between track eight and, and track 12, I think this is the best song. And this is a better idea. This is a better meditation on the Reckless Abandon idea and the Anthem Part 2 idea. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> this is the third time, third we're, time we're going to this. But I think we kind of get it right this time. <laughs> and it has a sing-songy open here, this little like melodic yeah. thing. I like that chunky... Yeah. Uh, uh, guitar underneath him. That's, I feel like that always works really well. It's his high pitched, nasally kind of scratching. It pairs really well with his voice. Yeah. Like if you're dropping out a yeah. lot of the music and letting his vo- vocals lead, it works really well. And you're backing up with that chunk, 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 chunk. Yeah. I do think lyrically, it's dumb. Almost painfully simplistic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But. In a way that I'm okay with. Right. And if you hadn't heard Anthem mm-hmm. and Reckless Abandon on this album already at this point, <laughs> you would probably yeah. be a lot more forgiving yeah. for it. Kids will have fun and offend. <laughs> they don't want to and don't fit in. I mean that's that that the kids will have fun enough and it's dumb. They don't want to and won't fit in, but they do want to fit in. Sure, but I think that's impli- like that 
tension is implicit. The duality there is. Yeah. yeah. I really like the next song. It's also better than the bulk of this is Mark's. Let me look at these tracks. This is Mark's shining moment, I think, on this song, on this album. It's called "Shut Up." (laughs) I love that open. Like it's just one note. Oh, you must hate the drums on this. Absolutely. Yeah, I I think the problem that I have with this song is that I'm so fatigued at this point. Yeah, yeah, this is track 12. It's... We should be at the end of the album, which kind of are... We are, but we're just like we've been hearing sort of the same message over and over, over and over again. Yeah. From interestingly, Mark's been telling one story. Tom's been telling another. Yeah. But it, they're both telling one. You know, each of their songs is a meditation on the same idea. Same thing. This is yeah. very much like roller coaster in terms of feeling alienated by. Uh, your 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 significant other. Yeah, Tom's Tom's story is uh, the generation gap. Like yeah. you know, I'm doing my own thing. I'm an innovative kid, and you just don't understand because yeah. you're old. And Mark's story is we had a great thing. Yeah, and you fucked it up. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, yeah, yeah. That and that's it. That is this album. Do you know what the weird thing is? You just made me like this album more. <laughs> Only because of the oddity of two sort of ideas happening. Yeah. I mean, that's an interesting concept. And if they had acknowledged that and if they'd pushed forward with it, that would have been. It essentially would be the Outcast album. Yeah. Right? Like, there's essentially two albums in that release. Yeah. From Big Boy and uh, uh, what's his name? Andre. Andre 5000. Is that his name? 3000. 3000. I think. I think he's so great. He lost I, think, I think it should be five thousand. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I do love this part though. Mark, I think you're right. Yeah, I agree. Maybe that was intentional. Ooh. Actually, it was Tom. He's like, I think you're right, Mark. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's a great idea. Go. <laughs> uh, so next is Please Take Me Home. I also really like this song. It has a really weird cadence to it that it, I like. Yeah, I like the cadence. I like... Um, I think I think it brings us back. I'm, I'm way more invested in this song yeah, overall yeah. than the preceding five yeah. or so. I think... So I listened to this song today, and... As it was ending, I thought to myself, what does this song do that I'm Sorry doesn't do? Hmm. From Dude Ranch? Yeah. And I couldn't come up with anything, but I I realized what I'm Sorry does that this song does not do as an album closer. Mm -hmm. And I realize we have some hidden tracks coming up, but um, the... The impetus of this song, like the the failure of 
the relationship to coalesce or whatever. Um, I think it feels palpable. It feels very real here. But the song doesn't do it justice. Okay. Versus um, uh, I'm Sorry, which I, I listened to immediately after this. Yeah. And still works on me, still hooks me. I would bet that's because I'm Sorry feels like it's in the moment. Like that is, uh, those feelings are probably still very real for him. Mm-hmm. And in this, when he records this, he's married. Yeah. Like any any feelings he has about this are remembered. True. And so probably don't ring as true to, to him. So he can kind of get there. But it's never going to be what I'm sorry is. Yeah. Um, so there were three editions of this album. And you can make the argument, if you want, <laughs> that they did that to make money. Right? Mm-hmm. You can also make the argument, if you want, that they wanted to create a cool little collector's item. They're, they're doing what they can to manipulate the system in inventive ways. Maybe. Yeah. Potentially. So there's three versions of the album Take Off Your Pants and Jacket, and the album art's different, or, or the CD art is different on the CD itself. Um, they had three icons yeah, a plain, that were associated with the album. A plain... A uh, pair of pants and a jacket. Right. And um, apparently Travis was upset that the the plane was chosen to represent him. Did you hear, did you read about this? No. I, I yeah. I guess so. Like the the first two are sort of Mark and Tom's icons, and I guess this is uh, wait wait wait. Take off is the first one. Plane. Yeah. But my, so my understanding pants, is this on. is associated based on the, the, the following songs. Okay. So the the hidden tracks that were um, included with each different version mm-hmm. are um, linked to an individual member of the band. So mm-hmm. there's like the Tom set and the Mark set of songs. Oh, I didn't And the Travis that. set okay. of songs. And the Travis set of songs... Is the plain. Is the plain version, which... which Offended him because he was at the time terrified of flying. He hated flying. This and has very interesting implication. Exactly. Yeah. Would later become even more ironic because he's in a plane. He then crash. is in a plane crash. Almost later. dies. Um, well, so they on each each version of the album, the three versions, the last two tracks were different. Um, I had the pants version. Was this the Tom set? Yeah. Um, and each of each of those albums, the second to last track was a joke song, right? Mm-hmm. And the final track was a, a B side, essentially, right? Um, and I'm you had the good one, you had the good version. I had the Mark. That's Jack album, yeah. Um, so which one is on which thing? Let me look here. Uh, does it say? Editions. I think it's down here under. The red plane, yellow pants, green jacket. <laughs> I think it's under, if you go down a little bit lower. Track listening. Okay, here we go. Yep. Yeah. So red had, and this was the Travis version, mm-hmm. time to break up and Mother's Day. Let me pull up time to break up real quick. Again, these B-sides, I, I enjoy them more because I don't yeah. hear them as often. Yeah. 
This feels like it's a good super song. Blinky. Yeah. It's a it's an embarrassing song to listen to. What? Yeah, it's a pretty I guess it's only the men who get fucked now and again. No, it's not. We take our chicks to the oh. I like the oh, no. the line about um <laughs> her leaving her bra on his guitar. I know. Yeah. We take our chicks to the malls, we wait in parking stalls. Wait, wait, wait. That was maybe Oh, okay. There's a lyric later I love. Uh, this is terrible lyrically. But I love the music. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, that's my favorite part. Oh, yeah. No, this isn't. But this. <laughs> Shit, yeah. fuck, I made a mistake. Okay. That's a bad song. I mean, I will concede that I like that song, but it's awful. But but then here's Mother's Day. We we have a a, a fellow a host you're all familiar with is sitting with us now, just waiting. He's like, "Can we please move on to the actual show that we usually <laughs> record?" But I'm going to make him sit through this because we're almost done. This is Mother's Day. One, two, three, four. <laughs> I mean, this is good. <laughs> it's probably one of their best joke songs ever. Yeah, I, I really like that one. So then on, uh, where did it go? On Yellow Pants. That's the CD that had was yellow and had pants on it is the Tom version. And it has what went wrong. Well, yeah, what went wrong, which this is, is probably my favorite song. And it's, I remember, do you remember this? Yeah. You had not heard this song. Yeah, you I don't played think it for you me. were even aware that there were different editions. I had no idea. And I came over to your house and I said, you got to hear this song. <laughs> <laughs> Did you have a GameCube? I believe, or a Dreamcast. Yeah. I had both of them. We at put one it point. in a game system <laughs> and listened to it that way. I this, want it to be a Dreamcast. This, Tell me it was the Dreamcast. This was what went wrong. And you, this is the best of the of the extra tracks. Yeah. And again, like super simple, nothing to it, but it it's really works. I'm sick of this is kind of boxcar racer-ish. Yeah, very boxcar. Well, and my understanding is that these were demos, and he just decided to include the original version. They write all their songs on acoustic guitars, and so this was eventually supposed to be recorded. Oh, you know, you know the normal process, and I, I kind of wonder what it would sound Me like. Me too. So then, the other <laughs> track on this one, let me find it. 
Oh, let me skip to the little bridgey part. Very familiar, very comforting sort of Tom moment, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, imagine if it was electric. Imagine what that Whoa. would sound like. Someone should record that. So the other one on this album was <laughs> Fuck a Dog. your mom in the ass tried to fuck your dad in the ass could only find the dog and his ass we wanna fuck a dog in the ass we wanna fuck a dog in the ass there you get that point that. <laughs> and then final edition was the jacket green jacket and it had don't tell me it's over which uh, I think I really like this one. I hear the phone, it rings so violently. Can't leave my room, Capri said she left me. I will admit I hate those things I said. Girls always cry, guys will never admit they did. Do you like those drums? I don't hate them. I just this this doesn't sound like a blink song to me. No. I don't hate it, but like it You can see why it's not on the album. Yeah, yeah. Well it is. But not as a not an official track, yeah. yeah. And then uh, the joke song. It sounds like one of their contemporaries at the time. Mm. Who? Oh I don't know. Like no. just any of them. <laughs> 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 and then the other the final joke song. Which I learned how to play <laughs> is when you fucked grandpa. Oh, I can't play it at the same time. <laughs> I almost had that playing the same. Okay. When you fucked grandpa. I learned how to play this on guitar. Uno, dos, tres, cuatro. I could still play it. Really? Yeah. Why wasn't this on the album proper? <laughs> what what does Mark have against his grandfather? I know. And which grandfather? Or is it like two of them? Is he talking about his like one side of his family on family reunion or happy holidays and a different one here? Oh yeah, I don't know. I I want to catch the part where he just sort of goes nuts. Did he, kiss you soft and he just tender. starts rambling at one point. Did he t- did on your mother's bed? And this he is fucking stupid, man. I feel like there was a really early song. What was it called? Mile 13 or something? And that was also about a grandpa. 
13 miles. Uh, I won't play it or anything, but I think there there may mm. have been some grandpa overtones in that one. It's a motif. <laughs> so um, those are all the songs that were on those editions. Um, I remember I ended up getting a copy of Green Jacket for myself. I never mm. did get a copy of Red Plane. <laughs> you should have just taken mine. I wasn't listening to oh, it. You should have given it to me, yeah. Um, but... Uh, yeah, this was definitely like a, a weird kind of re-meditation of the same ideas from Enema. Worked in some instances, def- definitely did not in others. Yeah, it would. Um, it set the stage, though, I think, for what we would encounter. Was this the show that we went to together? The the Was that the same tour, the Take no, Off Your Pants and Jackets? No, I did not see or- this tour because this is when they introduced the Flaming Fuck on yeah. stage and I didn't see that until most recently when they reintroduced it. Mm. Um we went to uh Pop did you go to Pop Disaster? No, I didn't go to Pop Disaster. So then we, we went, went to, to the neighborhood tour. Yeah. Which is a experience all in its own. But well I don't I won't belabor it, but I I I went to see them following the release of this album and it was the first time they were at an amphitheater like, you know, in the amphitheater proper mm-hmm. and it was a miserable experience. Yeah. They, I think they played maybe <laughs> three songs that were from damn it or mm-hmm. Cheshire cat. And the rest were all enema and right. take off your pants. And I was pretty much done with them at yeah. that point. You thought, so I thought, um, because there's a, uh, big change coming. Yeah. We might have to devote a whole episode to it. To the next album? No, to the next change. Wait. <laughs> what? <laughs> oh, do you do you talking about Boxcar? Yeah. Oh, okay. We'll see. That'd be interesting. Yeah. Um. So we'll you we'll come back and we'll talk about maybe talk about that for a whole a whole episode. Um. But we'll definitely come back at some point and talk about what follows this album, which is, um. Well, I don't want to spoil any opinions you or I may have on them, so just listen into that episode. Yeah, it's it's coming. I don't know about you, but I need to come up for some air at this point. Um, so let's do that. 